Welcome back to Trending in Education. Dan Schrapper, Michael Palmer, and Tarlin Ray along with you. And on this episode, we're going to check back in on a recent topic we covered a little bit back when we talked about the inverted yield curve. We're going to talk about a letter from 181 top CEOs and what the purpose of business and companies truly are. Mike, want to check in with you first, though. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing great. I'm excited. It's always fun to have Tarlin on the show. So, uh, so that's a nice, uh, nice perk. And, uh, you know, if 181 CEOs agree on something, uh, that's saying something. Uh, so uh, it'll be fun to talk about what they said. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's always fun to welcome Tarlin. So let's commence with the welcoming. Tarlin, how Fantastic are you? Fantastic to be back on. Hello from the West Coast. And last time I was on, Palmer thought I was tired. This is me energized. <laughs> <laughs> we will dive in here. Based off that energy alone, it'll be a fun podcast. We will talk about this uh, recent letter from the Business Roundtable, a uh, group of CEOs. I think, Mike, you saw ranging up to how many? 190-something? There's 193 CEOs who are currently members of the Business Roundtable, and 181 signed this letter. So, like, we're not clear exactly what happened to the other 12. Like, were they, were they traveling uh, were they uh, abstaining uh, or or what? But uh, but yeah, it's a big. Um, it's arguably the most influential uh, business lobby in the country, and uh, a lot of big CEOs, including uh, Jamie Dimon, who uh, who's the CEO of uh, of Chase, uh, who uh, penned or at least signed this letter. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, a lot to talk about in there. Yep, Regardless, still. whether and whatever the 12, however they would have voted, they are now voting for it. Yeah. Because it is already out. The, um, there's great press. So let's just assume it was 193. There's no way. <laughs> unanimous. Although I get, I get nervous when uh, there's like blind unanimity. So like if it's 193 out of 193, I actually like that there's a few missing votes here. Because uh, okay, 190 would be good. Yeah, just be careful. You want to avoid the group think. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, so, so welcome, Tarlin. And then Dan, uh, how do you how do we want to go after this well, uh, this bad boy? I think starting at the top, it was an open letter titled "Statement on the Purpose of a Corporation." Uh, for a long time, business and the way CEOs have operated have been based off of Milton Friedman's work uh, from the 1960s and 1970s that uh, the social responsibility of a business is to increase its profits. Full stop. That uh, behind closed doors, decisions are made to increase their profits namely for their shareholders. Uh, this is a big step away from that, talking about multiple parties that are important to businesses and for businesses to have a purpose. You mentioned uh, Jamie Dimon. Uh, Larry Fink is somebody uh, at BlackRock who penned a letter earlier in the year to CEOs on this exact topic. So multiple big names in finance getting behind this and pushing it forward. And Tarlin, I, I ask uh, you this question at the top. You made mention that how well-received this has been any reaction from you when you first saw it or what you thought the implications of this sort of, I don't know if I want to say sea change, but a, a definite change in how they're approaching, how they're talking publicly about corporations' purpose in the world? So are, you, are we allowed to have a slow golf clap on a, Absolutely. On a podcast? Yeah, uh, as, long, I, as long as you don't go on too long. You know, like I think if I you stop right, ar right around now, like if you kept Three doing claps. it, like, Another 10, 15 minutes, we might be troubled. Yeah. That, that was exciting. So as a human being, um, excited to see the direction that the business roundtable is going. I think it will, 
chip away at some of the elements and sort of who they are considering ultimately their uh, stakeholders instead of their shareholders and who they're trying to support. But broadly, um, you'd hope, especially as you look at where, are, where the United States is today, where you think it's going in the future, I personally believe corporations have a bigger responsibility than they might have had in the past. You can't rely on the government to fix or do everything. I also see massive income inequality. So there are ways for corporations to play a bigger role and they're going to need to, as you see some major, the FANG companies, Facebooks and Amazons of the world with massive power. And with power comes great responsibility. Yeah, that's a Spider-Man thing. I was gonna jump in, but I didn't wanna step on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just, that's an alley, that's the last alley for this podcast. So generally excited. it's interesting, we can go back, I actually pulled the social responsibility of business to increase its profits by Milton Friedman from the New York Times Magazine. Yeah. September 13, 1970. That is a dense six page read, mm. uh, but we can get in there. But you just asked my initial reaction. I'm, I'm excited um, for possibilities. There's a lot of nuances and, and, some, compl- and some execution risk and it'll take some time, but it's, it's a great shot over the bow. And Mike, how about yourself? Uh, we've had discussions about this. We talked about it a tiny bit on the inverted yield curve episode, which you should go back and listen to as well. But uh, reactions uh, for you, uh, quick reactions. We, you talked a little bit about uh, the shareholders maybe getting missed over here or passed over here a little bit too quickly. Um, yeah, I don't know if I feel that 100%. Like, uh, first off, 181 uh, business leaders, that's got to be a huge roundtable, right? And uh, <laughs> Like, I don't know how, uh, how is it catered? You know, like, the, like the, I have a lot of questions around the business roundtable. Uh, also, I find the, the, the extent to which 181 has been uh, the number that's been associated with this. Uh, I think Dan and I did a little bit of digging into the, the numerological uh, implications of 181, which, uh, which, which, which we may also get to. Uh, what, what I thought was really interesting, um, I guess there was a few things that I thought were really interesting, but one is um, just the idea of uh, it not really being an either or, where um, ultimately being a a purpose-based organization that is thinking about all of its stakeholders, including its employees, uh, including its suppliers, uh, its uh, communities, and its customers, in addition to its shareholders, uh, I think that's right. Uh, and I think long term, if you're only delivering to your shareholders, that's probably not a, long, a sustainable long term strategy. Uh, so I thought that um, while that's something that I feel as a non CEO, just to clarify, I'm not a CEO uh, and I'm not playing one uh, on this podcast. But um, but I thought it was an interesting um, yeah, shot across the bow, I think is a, is a nice way to think about it. Um, I also think it, the timing is interesting heading into an election year. Uh, where this is a, a, you know, first and foremost, it's a lobbying uh, group that wants to, uh, ideally wants to preempt any uh, regulatory activity that would ultimately limit their ability to, uh, to have some uh, agency and autonomy. So I think it's slightly preemptive. It's slightly a PR move, uh, but it's also probably the beginning of a sea change, uh, I would say. And it, it does seem to be reflective of a lot of what we're hearing and seeing about uh, the importance of being mission-based, uh, purpose, purpose-built 
to attract and retain talent, um, to uh, honestly even attract and uh, retain customers, uh, you know, like ultimately purpose-based organizations, uh, mission-driven organizations are outperforming those that uh, really are just chasing profits. And, um, you know, that does require a little bit of more of a long-term view of things. Uh, and then I think the last thought, which I did talk about on that, that riveting inverted yield curve uh, show, which, uh, which if you haven't listened to, you should go back to. But, um, but it is in part, I think, uh, a hedge against what might be a slightly unfavorable economy as well. So like, if now they're saying we're not just beholden to our shareholders, and then their stock takes a bit of a beating as there's some kind of correction in the next year or two, um, I do think the timing is uh, is certainly interesting, and uh, I'm curious to see uh, how this turns into uh, action because it is more of uh, something that's getting good press that is sort of signaling a change. But um, but how will this actually manifest in how these organizations are led? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I really know that yet, and I don't think that's really been fleshed out just yet. Makes a lot of Austin sense. Freeman would be freaking out. In a free enterprise, private property system, a corporate executive is an employee of the owners of the business. Mm. Direct responsibility to his employers. That is the responsibility to conduct the business in accordance with the desires, which generally will be to make as much money as possible. And you're quoting, you're quoting. Quoting Milton Friedman. What is this purpose-based ulterior motive? Seems like a charade. Right. Just make money. There's, There's one line. It's the bottom one. Give, 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 give the people what they want and the people are your shareholders, you know? So I, I'm not, it, it's just, this has been, this has been gospel for mm-hmm. 40 plus years. And I absolutely hear what you're saying. It's going to take time. Of course, um, it, you got to ride the press and it's a moment, but absolutely. They don't, they're not making moves. Um, um, looking just at the short term, I think it is a hedge. I did do, because we're talking about CEOs, I did a really exhaustive survey of board members of public companies. So I talked to a N of one, my dad, does that count? Hi, dad. Yeah. Never listening, but hi. Soon Um, soon to be a listener. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Non-listeners soon, maybe. Mom's a great listener though. Um, so he actually said, I asked him about the one or one. He said, it's fantastic. And his comment was, this is something that he served on um, five public boards and a couple private that they've been talking about for up over 10 years, maybe. Mm-hmm. And so it's easy for us to sit and say, I, you immediately like, okay, what, what, what are they really trying to do? Do they really care about their customers? Because in the, the day, that's, of course, you sort of care. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think there are some generational things that are happening. Mm-hmm. Millennials, Gen Z, soon to be the alphas, that this yeah. is going to be important to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, there, are, there are areas where the thing I said in talking to him, where it's an interesting long-term play, but the markets aren't based on sort of looking at the long-term outlook, your quarterly basis, and the, your, you got the day traders. What this almost signaled from the 181 is, as a CEO, I feel, if I'm doing this, I feel very secure that I'm going to be here for a while. Right. 
And that's surprising. I haven't looked at the tenure of CEOs recently. Mm-hmm. There are a lot that it's almost like being an NFL coach. Right. You're not, I mean, how many, how many CEOs has GE had in the last two, three years that keep right. flipping them over? Right, right. So this is a move, one, saying, signaling not only to the markets and customers, but also ultimately they have to go in front of the shareholders and say, I'm going to be here for a while and you got to be bet on me to handle some of the ups and downs to take mm-hmm. us to an area or looking at more social responsibility and to, along with fiscal responsibility. And that I'm, I'm curious how that's going to play out right. because um, one bad quarter. Okay. Right. Two, Hey, your little social plan is not working out. Sure. Yeah. Well, and, and uh, the interesting thing too is like, you know, where do you source the next 181, you know? So like it's a relatively small club too. So how many of the CEOs who, exit one company wind up landing uh, a leadership role somewhere else or, or actually moving into, into boards uh, as you're describing. But like, uh, you know, there is, that's such a small number if you think about it, like 181. I mean, it, the amount of, of influence and capital and uh, employees and stakeholders lives who are really determined by this roundtable um, is something to kind of, take pause and think about. And then to your point, uh, Tarlin, like how stable a group is this? Um, I, I get the sense that at least some of these folks have been around for a little while, but, uh, but what happens if there's a lot of turnover and a year or two from now, like there's only, uh, you know, 60 or 70 of the 181 who signed, who signed this, uh, do the rest say like, hey, listen, that made sense to my predecessor. But now that I'm back, yeah, I'm in charge. It's all about the bottom line. So like, um, I still think it is, and I'd be curious your take on this, Tarlin, like, it does seem like there is a long term benefit to thinking this way. And it's a relatively simple concept, just shifting from shareholders having primacy to saying it's our stakeholders who really have primacy, and then to have a more sort of complex understanding of the dynamics that your organization will have to manage through. Um, In some ways, it's a kind of, it's a somewhat obvious concept, but it's just such a fundamental shift from like everything you're taught in business school, everything that is sort of canonical to uh, operating a business. how do you think this relates to the sort of the notion of strategy or thinking long-term? Cause like that is something that I think frequently is a tension for CEOs where they're both being asked to deliver to their shareholders, but also to be able to forecast where they'll be in the next two, three, five years. And it does seem like when you start looking at a longer time horizon, you're not just thinking about your profits. You're not just thinking about your, your short-term uh, returns. So do you have any thoughts on that? On like how like in some ways this stuff's kind of obvious, uh, but it is, it is kind of a shift. And I know you, uh, you, you are an MBA, is that correct? <laughs> I, I, did you say I'm playing in the NBA? <laughs> I, I mean, that's always been my dream. And no, I do not sign my name, Tarlin Ray, MBA. <laughs> 
but yes, I did get an MBA. You did graduate. Um, so like you, you have been steeped in uh, the, the, the brew uh, from which uh, Milton, who you're quoting, uh, you know. I goes back to my economics degree. Oh. <laughs> I was so, like, I think I know that guy. Heard <laughs> of him. I think he was on the textbook. And let's bring, I think there's, um, it's interesting you think about um, the stakeholders. They were talking about customers. So delivering value to our, value to our customers investing in our, in our employees. Let's just stop at employees. Mm-hmm. I think we've talked about this on other podcasts and there was a great book by uh, Chris Yeh um, looking at, uh, called The Alliance, looking at whether or not employees are still, by the way, I didn't even say Mark Benioff, who's, he started some small company called Salesforce, but I, Chris Yeh. Sure. <laughs> um, but employees are no longer, uh, staying at companies for 30, 40 years, seeing as their retirement. Mm-hmm. So if I'm looking at investing in our employees, the long-term that you're talking about. So one, employee turnover is probably at one of its all-time highs mm-hmm. um, because especially if you're looking at dev, data, talent, they're being poached and going to the person who will pay them the highest price. Mm-hmm. Two, jobs are changing rapidly in front of, it's not a five-year horizon saying, I think AI is coming, like AI is here. Right. to your horizon, like cloud is impacting. So the long-term play, a couple of places where you start to see the social responsibility come in is, is deeper investment in professional development. Mm-hmm. So I have someone in my box. I think they're great. I'm going to spend more on them to retrain them because mm-hmm. that will, in the long run, cost me less than constantly going out to find a new person. Right. Getting into bidding wars where the company I'm in may have a great culture, may have a great mission, but it may not be as sexy as one of the other companies that's the high flyer venture firm or priority firm. So from a long-term perspective, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Invest more in professional development, retrain the people you have, and then bring on. The other piece um, is maybe it comes in the the form of pay parity. Mm -hmm. So stop beating around the bush. You know, take a quarterly hit and say, we looked at all all the uh, various job rankings and when we looked at men, women, minorities, we leveled the playing field. Mm-hmm. And that's a hit that they took, but they felt it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And it will create long-term benefit for the organization. Mm-hmm. So those are two civic areas where that's a dollars and cents. You can see it's going to impact their P&L today. Mm-hmm. There may be some short-term hits. You won't look at, you can, you can write it off in that quarterly summary and say it's an extraordinary event. Right. But um, with that, will that have the return that you're looking for? Because stronger employees, more loyal. And that I think potentially, yes, that, that's one of those bets. That's a strategic bet, betting on the individuals in the organization, which also then if you're feeling good about yourself as, as an employee, you start then spreading that gospel, not love beyond to friends of friends. You wear your company t-shirt more proudly or even wear it outside. So I think that's one of the things you can start to unpack where there are dollars that will are associated with what it means to invest in your employees and probably many other examples, but those, those are the decisions that organizations have to make. Yeah. And I like where you're going too, because that becomes a flywheel too, right? So like you're investing in your workforce that ultimately elevates your brand, that attracts more talent, retains that talent. Um, I think the same thing's true about being a purpose-based organization, which uh, I thought was really interesting in the 
the Harvard Business Review article uh, on this topic where, uh, you know, there's a direct correlation between, uh, you know, the level to which an organization is purpose-based uh, and, uh, you know, the profitability, the other harder metrics are, are typically more aligned to that. And I think there are P&L implications that you're talking about, uh, which I think are right, Tarlin, like the cost of turnover, um, which is, I'm still coming back to your previous point, which is a good one too. Like if you think about the level to which the workforce is turning over, that's at a much faster rate than the rate at, at which CEOs are turning over. And, you know, in, and there's also this, uh, you know, income disparity between CEOs and their workforce that, uh, that also kind of perpetuates that, um, you know, the CEO sticking it out and feeling like it is really their company as opposed to the, uh, the employees feeling like they're hired guns who are looking for, for the next gig. Um, you know, the whole contrast between missionaries and mercenaries, you know, are you there on a mission? Or are you really there because you're a hired gun? Um, I, what I like about what you're talking about is that that could ultimately tie to a PL. Like you could ultimately start to translate some of these things into a model that would say, if we're more purpose-based and we're investing in our employees, whether it's training or other perks, um, training in particular, I think is, a, is probably the most relevant one, uh, particularly to an educational podcast. But um, if you think about those things sort of in aggregate, ultimately there are, uh, there are cost savings and brand, uh, benefits that really come from those things you haven't said uh with them yet uh tarlin so like i i, I felt like i i've been shamed with my no whiffle. no not publicly I, I, until now no 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 but uh is it zeitgeisty though it is zeitgeisty uh but like what's in it for me right this is uh this is something to this is because i was I was hoping you would say it, but I wanted to prompt you to say it now because this whole thing's a with them. I mean, that's what I mean. That's why. That's why I wanted. Because can you explain that for our less dedicated so listeners? What's in it for me? For if it's a W small I small I <laughs> FM. If you're looking at any situation, and especially in negotiation, you're trying to figure out what's in it for the person that's sitting across the table, and what's in it for the other person. So what's the with them for the CEOs? Um, it's a changing demographic. So millennials and Generation Z are hyper interested in authenticity, transparency, and purpose-based companies. We know that. You see it. You see it from brands that are getting crushed, that cannot attract the next generation. Mm -hmm. You think about the Sears of the world. They were all, those are examples of companies that were all about focusing on stakeholders. Mm -hmm. They were not, they were missing out on the customer value. Not sure how they're investing in their employees. Oh, so they were focused on shareholders. Sorry, shareholders, not stakeholders. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's SH. Um, so when it, anyways, it makes sense um, to make the change. Delivering value. So you talk about the obvious. Um, CEOs are focused on delivering value to our customers. That was the hardest one to like get my head around, which is, okay, are you delivering product that aren't valuable for your customers, but you're forcing the buy because they think that's the only thing they can buy. So that's the one where it's hard to unpack. We already talked about employees uh, dealing fairly and ethically with suppliers. That gets a little tricky mm -hmm. because it's all about trying to get the lowest price. So does that mean um, you, instead of 
um, putting out RFP, you start to broaden the number of RFPs that go out. You start to look more closely in, in the community. So you're building more of an ecosystem of folks. I'm not mm -hmm. sure that one gets a little trickier with dollars and cents because if yep. you can get it for 10 cents today mm -hmm. and someone else is charging 40, eh, right. uh, you're going to stick with, it doesn't, I'm, don't, does that part doesn't commute, compute. Right. And then supporting communities, that's probably the biggest whiff them for me. So yeah. If you are locally giving it's charitable giving to the community, maybe you have a big uh, office space there, then that literally becomes like that town is affiliated with that company mm -hmm. because um, you know it could be they can be contributing to K through five early Head Start so that kids can have a place to go. Mm -hmm. um, it can be contributing to um, local professional development because other areas, other parts of the town are struggling. Mm -hmm. And so that becomes this virtuous site, that flywheel that you're talking about. So yeah, yeah. there are multiple areas. The challenge, I think you're saying this is, is in the measurement. And the thing that is so helpful with stakeholders, it's a dollar, you can just see, it's an easy scoreboard that everyone understands. Mm -hmm. You're gonna have to start creating a different scoreboard yeah. for this type of social responsibility to explain mm -hmm. why you think, with leading educators, why you think you're on the path Right. And why you should say we're down 10, but look at this here. And right. we believe we should be fine uh, three quarters out. And that's, right. that's where the rub is. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. I think Eric, Eric Reese, uh, who wrote uh, the lean startup. lean startup and startup way. Yeah. 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 But I mean, he's, he's now talking about a new model of, a, of, of a, uh, an exchange, like a value-based exchange that isn't, that's more about long-term value, less about short-term. Uh, I have to do a little more research uh, to, to dig into that reference, but like it is, I remember um, when, uh, when Aaron Dignan was on the show, he was also talking about that as something that, that he was really interested in, that there are new models emerging that are less about uh, sort of the short-term scoreboard that is uh, the current, uh, stock market sort of lens and uh, quarterly earnings report lens. I thought it was also interesting that um, along similar lines, the more purpose-built organizations uh, tend to be privately held. Uh, and that's, you know, intuitive for those of us who understand the, the dynamics of being publicly traded. Uh, but it is, uh, it is an interesting sort of cautionary note uh, around going public and uh, the level to which once you are a publicly held company, you know, you have your great IPO, you get your equity, you get your stock options or whatever, you know, that's wonderful. But then uh, the way in which that organization can be managed and can be sort of a coherent uh, community, purpose-built uh, community, uh, it becomes more challenging. And, uh, and I think that's also true around, um, you know, publicly held versus privately held, but I think also uh, mergers and acquisitions was the other thing that was discussed where like, you know, frequently when you're doing a, a merger or an acquisition within an organization, you're not necessarily thinking about will that impact our collective purpose and will we be able to understand how that culture will fit and ultimately add to our collective culture or are we really doing something that ultimately is driven by uh, really hard financial considerations and due diligence against the financials, but not necessarily due diligence against uh, the cultural impact. Um, I know you have some experience uh, just around, around some of this. Does, 
any thoughts on that? Like the difference between publicly versus privately uh, traded, uh, the, the connection to purpose uh, and how it's harder to have a purpose when you're publicly held. Uh, and then uh, the related complexity around mergers and acquisitions. They all came out in that, um, that Harvard uh, Business Review article, which I thought was quite good. Um, any thoughts yes. on that, Tom? Yeah, so public versus private. I mean, I think about private companies now, the Bombuses of the world. I love, love them as a sock company. We I love know, our socks, yeah. yeah. Love our socks, Tom's. Like it is, I think those are the brands that are having a massive following because you can see what they stand for. Mm-hmm. You can pierce that veil. The, as I start to think about a publicly traded company, I haven't spent a lot of time looking at them, but I did read about them in the past. Think about Etsy as a B Corp. Mm-hmm. It's a purpose-driven organization that made that switch to being publicly traded. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to see how they've managed through. And, and it's not as if you can say, maybe it is, all B Corps are purpose-driven, but they have a different, different uh different way of looking at the market, different way of dealing with their customers and their employees. And Can you clarify of, for our non-MBA uh, listeners uh, and perhaps your co-hosts, what, uh, what do you mean by a B? B, B no, I'm gonna, you want me to Google the <laughs> type organization. So when you, I finish talking and then you say more words, <laughs> I'll tell you what a B Corp. Sounds good, sounds good. <laughs> um, when you talk about M&A and I think culture, it's, it's really interesting. It depends on whether or not the, the acquirer expects to fold the company within the, within the mothership, within the larger org, mm-hmm. or whether or not they expect it to sit along, sit as a separate brand. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're in this social responsibility mindset and you say, this is top to bottom, this is what we're going to do, um, even if it's a, as a separate brand, you're then making potentially a decision to change the dynamics of that organization and culture can kill a merger. Mm-hmm. And if there's a cultural misalignment, I've gone through it myself. Mm-hmm. Um, despite all the hard work, the culture that's there is that's, that's the foundation. That is, that is the heartbeat of that organization mm-hmm. and flipping it out means you actually need to probably flip out a lot of people mm-hmm. and change the vision. And in doing so, what do you do to that, that thing, that business that is a high flyer that's producing, that's profitable, mm-hmm. that, that's a concern. So M&A will be massively interesting. I do think that if someone is a purpose-built organization, you can find plugins that have yeah. a similar mindset, mm-hmm. um, but it will be potentially early on be more limiting in terms yeah. of your scope and your ability just to become a platform play, let's say, and just let's add in, organ- add in brands that will never roll to the top, will never sit all together. But um, I think that becomes challenging. Culture, touching culture and changing one organization from a non-purpose to a purpose, if the other one's purpose, that I, I, would, I, would, I would pay a lot of money to see someone make that, make that happen. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's complex stuff. And it is interesting if you're privately held, you only have four of those five stakeholders uh, to, con- to worry about. You don't have, you don't have shareholders. You still have your, your funding, like however you're getting, you know, if you're- Your investors. Are you relying on investors? They're private, you know, private equity ultimately is running it. But, uh, and, and they didn't really even get it. We haven't really talked about uh, not-for-profits, NGOs, uh, some of these other, uh, these other ideas uh, as well. Dan, did we want to do a quick uh, diversion into uh, the importance of the number 181? 
I, I think it's worthwhile, and I think yeah. that we need Tarlin's reaction to it. Yeah. Uh, a B Corp, for those uh, listening at home, uh, is the term used for any for-profit entity that is certified by the nonprofit B Lab as voluntarily meeting higher standards for transparency, accountability, and performance. Mm. So I do think transparency is a really big question for me coming out of here. How do we judge these companies moving forward? Are they more transparent with their data? Do they share more publicly uh, than they may have in the past? Do we get to track more of that? And I will point out the business roundtable represents over 15 million employees and more than $7 trillion in annual revenues mm. to put in an idea. Seems, uh, seems like things that's relevant. Just one more note, note, Dan, real quick. The B Corp Declaration of in Interdependence we envision a global economy that uses business as a force for good. Mm. So it's a right reference. It just yeah. asked me to be Wikipedia. I am not, I can't. You nailed it though. And, and our listeners are edified. So, so good job by you. Yeah. So 181, Dan. 181. Mike has, uh, I think, more notes on this than me, but we found it to be used, uh, obviously, in all the articles and all the headlines. And we wondered if there's more significance to it than just the number of CEOs who happen to vote in favor or sign this letter. So Mike, we found some interesting numerology around it, around it being an angel number. Yeah. And uh, so much more uh, about the number 181 that we wanted to share and we wanted to get your take on it, uh, Tarlin. We wanted to make sure we, we got your full take on everything we talk about here. And the number 181 is supposedly portends regarding finances, monetary issues, and wealth. Do you take solace in Numerology, do you believe an angel number here maybe gives us a little bit more and a reason why we should believe in the CEOs who signed this letter? <laughs> um, <laughs> what? What? Come on. Numerology. No, I it's think, it's I zeitgeisty. Think, it's on trend. You it know? is totally on trend. I, I believe whatever um, people believe that believe in the universe, people believe in there's a higher... I do not believe that these... CEOs of fifth, how many employees? Uh, 15 million. 15 million, 7, billion, 7 trillion in market cap or top line. In revenues, revenue. yeah. In revenue. revenue. It's been a moment even having an idea that this is coming out. Now, broadly, it's exciting that this is the number it landed on because it portends just hope for the future. Yeah. And a more connected and less divisive um, United States. Yeah. And, and honestly, no joke, uh, you know, what, what I think you were touching on before is, you know, and we are learning an education podcast, like it is, uh, I think it's somewhat hopeful for people who are thinking about training and developing workforces, uh, which is something we've talked about a lot. Like, you know, that's a lot of the employee investment you were talking about, Tarlin, and that, you know, this, if anything, is a signal that organizations are more at the, from, from the tippity top of these huge organizations, they are thinking about uh, generating value and, for their employees and maintaining that engagement uh, really through ideally a longer stint with them, which means ongoing training and development. And, um, and I think that's somewhat hopeful around, uh, you know, some of the conversations we've had around, uh, you know, public-private partnerships and, you know, what is Amazon doing? What is Starbucks doing? You know, it does seem like it will increasingly become table stakes, particularly now that this, this letter is out there from these 181 uh, stakeholders. You know, at what point are they going to back up their signature on that? And are there places where that has a direct implication uh, to folks who are interested in, uh, you know, skill development, professional development, uh, you know, all those kinds of things? 
Uh, I think it's so as thinking about the angel reference again, you know, challenges with CEOs, they're sort of seen as bigger than life and they will have sort of this godlike mentality. I think some of that's gone from the 90s, 2000s. So you start to catch yourself and it's just another moment of narcissism. I don't think it is, but you know, you got both sides. I got the devil and angel on my shoulders right now. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, our, list, our listeners can't see that, but yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I got, I've got my hand. I'm waving my hands <laughs> on my shoulders. Um, the other thing I will say, Jamie Dimon, um, I know that they're intentional. Not only of, in him being the lead, he's been very intentional around diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a friend, uh, James Ree, who um, leads a company called Ashley Stewart, who is taking a company from bankruptcy with a talented group of individuals and they're one of the fastest growing retail and e-commerce brands. And he now sits on a board with a lot of individuals looking at um, diversity and minority issues. And mm-hmm. this is um, something that uh, I know that Jamie Dimon and others are spearheading. So I actually, when I saw this, cause you often can be cynical. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, I took a lot for me to bring the cynic out. And so, um, less focus on the CEOs and sort of the angel moment. But I do believe as you think about, you know, my, my family is from Ohio and one of the hometowns, uh, Mansfield, Ohio, used to have three vibrant factories. Now they're only known for two jails and one of them was in Shawshank Redemption. Mm. So as you can think about the new corporations starting to be able to infuse themselves back in maybe this is one of those moments to say we lost we lost our way or lost sight of what's going to continue to build um, a strong and vibrant economy hmm. a conversation that will continue obviously we'll, we'll keep track of this and uh, other corporations coming out and challenging uh, these corporations to walk the walk the ben and jerry's the patagonias of the world uh, have an advertisement out there uh, to switch their status like Tarlin was talking about. So, so much still to happen here uh, and to move forward and track and see where we are in three months, six months, and in a year as we talk about this topic. If you have any thoughts on it, would like to share them, you can find us on Twitter at Trending and Ed. Same on Facebook, love to hear from you. Uh, share those thoughts here on Trending and Education, of course, on our social media as well. Find us at trendingandeducation.com as always. Thanks to Tarlin, thanks to Mike for another great episode of Trending in Education. Thank you.